It's good to see you all this evening. I encourage you to open to Revelation chapter 13, and there we will find our sermon text for this evening. We're picking up where we left off two weeks ago, where we saw in the book of Revelation a great war between the red dragon and Michael the archangel, and how the dragon was cast out of heaven and cast down to the earth where he went to make war against all of the offspring, all of the seed of the woman. And as we ended that sermon in Revelation 12, we saw that the beast was, or the dragon was standing on the shore of the sea. We didn't know what he was up to or what he was going to do, but tonight we will see, in fact, what his plan was and how he intended to continue waging war against the seed of the woman. All of those who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are willing and able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word. And we will read Revelation chapter 13. The word of God reads, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they had worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for forty-two months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that those, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak, and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, 
so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of his word. And all the church says, you may be seated. The dragon was standing on the shore of the sea. And the dragon that stood on the shore of the sea is the devil who was crushed by Jesus Christ, defeated by the archangel Michael, and expelled from heaven by God. He stands as the connective link between politics and religion, for these are the two beasts that he summons from the underworld to join him in making his war on the seed of the woman, the church of Jesus Christ. So together, the dragon and the two beasts form an unholy trinity. This axis of evil seeks to steal and kill and destroy the people of God. The warning that comes to us in Revelation 12 and 13 is that this red dragon who has been crushed and defeated and expelled is still fierce, still able to wreak havoc. And in Revelation 13, he goes into beast mode. Eugene Peterson says in his little commentary, Reverse Thunder, that the beasts are Leviathan and Behemoth, portrayed in God's whirlwind speech to Job as the ultimate in ferocity, but also known to be crushed and disposed of and no longer any threat to God's rule. Leviathan and Behemoth were the sea monster and the land creature. And God came to Job and said, What can you do with these creatures? How can you handle these monsters? And to which Job threw dust on his head and covered his mouth and said, There's nothing I can do. I'm but a man. Woe to me. This first beast that is summoned from the sea, Leviathan, is the beast of corrupt politics, described as a powerful nation. It is a pluralistic, pluralistic nation, a patchwork quilt made up of the leftover parts of many different kinds of nations. It was a swift leopard. It was a strong bear. It was a fierce lion. And now it's all been put together where it serves as a puppet on the claw of the dragon. It comes from the world of men and it is powered by demonic forces. It requires citizens to worship it and to serve it alone. And notice how it turns patriotism into nationalism and turns nationalism into fanaticism. This beast is battle-tested and scarred. It will draw the sword. It will use violence to force people into allegiance if necessary. This beast loves to use intimidation. It tries to intimidate people into service, into loyalty, into allegiance. 
It intimidates them by threatening them within an inch of their life and beyond. This beast calls itself the greatest nation on God's green earth. It fancies itself to be the light of the world, a city on a hill, the hope of the nations. It was mortally wounded, but now it wants to make X great again. Now this beast is not just the Roman Empire. It is the world with all of its lusts, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. This beast is any state or any system that sets itself up to rival the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It was the Roman Empire. Before that, it was Babylon. It includes many nations, perhaps even the United States of America. This is a beast that considers itself to be greater than it actually is. It's given a mouth that utters great boasts. It utters haughty and blasphemous words. It's allowed to exercise authority for a fixed amount of time. And it opens its mouth to utter blasphemies against God. It speaks evil of God to make itself look greater. It blasphemes the name of God and God's dwelling place to make its name and its dwelling place seem better. It's allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And this authority was given to it, authority over every tribe, every people, every language, and every nation. These are the same tribes and people and languages and nations that the Lamb of God has come and purchased a people from them with His blood. So there's a conflict of interests. Verse 8 tells us that all who dwell on the earth will worship this beast, everyone whose name, that is, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life, in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. All those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life will worship this beast. They will worship the state. The beast of corrupt political power. For them, the state is God. It is the highest authority, the highest power to the state belongs their allegiance. And people will swear allegiance to it. They marvel at this beast. They stand amazed at this beast. They follow it where it leads. They worship this beast. They sing and ask in their songs, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against the beast? We're the greatest. Resistance is futile. We actually have an answer to their question, but we will answer their question next week. For now, let them bask in their fading glory of who will fight against the beast and who is like him. We will see the answer to that question next week. Suffice it to say for now that the answer has something to do with the Lamb of God and his followers. <coughs> Notice in this story that, or in this vision, that the beast worshipers believe that the beast is invincible. He cannot be conquered. He cannot be threatened. He cannot be brought down. There is no other nation, no other kingdom, no other power greater than this beast. And yet they fail to see that it is propped up by a crushed and defeated dragon. 
That's how the world sees this beast. But those who worship the Lamb and follow the Lamb see the beast for what it is. A patchwork puppet on the hand, on the claw of a dragon. All those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life see the beast for what it is and they refuse to worship it. Why? Because the Lamb of God was slain for them and He ransomed them with His blood and transformed them. As we saw earlier in the vision, the revelation of Jesus Christ, we sing of the Lamb that you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. To put that in context of this vision, it means that we shall reign over the beast, but the beast shall not reign over us. In his commentary on the book of Revelation, Kester says, mentioning the book of life reminds readers that people belong to God by the grace of God. Revelation does not suggest that people are placed in the book of life when they achieve a passing score on a spiritual endurance test. Since God claims people from the foundation of the world, being placed in the book is an act of pure grace on God's part. Therefore, Revelation does not call readers to endure in the hope that someday they will be listed among the redeemed. But it urges readers to persevere because God has already claimed them and does not want them to fall away. If your name is in the Lamb's book of life, you will not follow the beast, you will follow the Lamb. But as the beast seeks to intimidate and to pressure people into following Him, you will feel that pressure in more ways than one. Here's the pastoral exhortation given to us in verses 9 and 10. It is a call for perseverance, a call for faithful endurance. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he will go. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he will be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. This is not a message of fatalism. This is not a message of hopelessness. This is simply saying that whatever God ordains is right. And if you have been called to go into captivity for your failure and your refusal to worship the beast into captivity, you will go. If you have been called by God to be slain by the sword for your refusal to give allegiance to the beast, then you will be slain with the sword. That does not mean that God has given up on you. It does not mean that God has delivered you over to evil. It does not mean that God has surrendered you or anyone else of His people to the beast. It means that you are following the Lamb who was slain into the new heavens and new earth. And the way you get there oftentimes is by experiencing the sorrows and the pain of death. It is putting up resistance to the world system with all of its lusts and passions and pride. It is a refusal to bow the knee to Caesar, but to only swear allegiance to Jesus Christ. 
How far are you willing to go? How much are you willing to lay down? What will you sacrifice of yourself to cling faithfully to Jesus, to per persevere in your faith to the Lamb of God? This is a call for perseverance. And you're never called to persevere when times are going well and things are easy. There's no need to call anyone to that because we would stay there forever. But when times are tough and the world is unraveling, that is when the call for perseverance comes. It is a call to God's people to never surrender and never give up. This first beast needs some help. He can't get by on his own. And so the dragon summons another beast from the underworld, behemoth, the land beast, the beast of counterfeit religion. To put a finer point on it, it is the beast of counterfeit Christianity. The second beast is described here as a meek and lowly lamb, but it is a fake lamb, a clumsy counterfeit of the magnificent true lamb that we have been worshiping and praising throughout the book of Revelation. What is this land beast? This land beast is the official state religion of the sea beast. Think of this land beast as the hype man for the state system. It points people to the state and it performs all kinds of signs and wonders to convince people to worship and serve the beast of political power. It is preaching a false gospel of the state. It is promoting the image and likeness of the state. It is punishing all who refuse to worship the image of this political beast. The political beast likes to use intimidation to coerce and force people into submission. But this other beast, this counterfeit religion beast, uses illusion and inspiration. Economic sanctions are imposed on the followers of the true Lamb of God who are signed and sealed with the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit in baptism. They have His sign and seal upon them. They are, they are distinct from those who receive the mark of the beast, indicating their allegiance, that they are the name bearers and the loyal followers of this fake lamb. The beast makes the worship and service, I'm sorry, this land beast of counterfeit Christianity makes the worship and service of the state beast a matter of life or death of pleasure or pain, of comfort or conflict. You know as well as I do that the world is full of religious nuts, but that's not all that this vision has in mind. Like the sea beast, this beast is a shapeshifter. He comes in many different shapes and sizes, and throughout history he has manifested himself as a counterfeit false religion, a counterfeit religion of the true religion of God. Again, more specifically, this is about counterfeit Christianity that is tied up with the state. You can't separate the two. And we've seen varieties of this so-called Christian power religion expressed through the ages. It has appeared in various forms of Catholicism with its false signs and wonders. 
It has appeared in various forms of Protestantism, again with its false signs and wonders, and in more recent years in our own land all around us. It has appeared in various forms of Charismania with its prosperity gospel and health and wealth gospel, a counterfeit religion where you are rewarded for giving your allegiance to the state, for being a good citizen, for keeping in line, for not pushing boundaries, for keeping your faith private and not public, for limiting your mission in the world to simply gathering for worship on the Lord's Day, but not engaging the culture with the gospel, not standing against the world in prophetic critique of what's going on in the world. No, we live in a time where this Christian power religion is so tied up with the beast of politics that the two walk hand in hand. It looks so much like the real thing, feels so much like the real thing that people often mistake it for the real thing. And even worse, they imagine that it's better than the real thing. This is not new. This is something that's been going on from the beginning. Go back with me in your memory to Genesis 3 where we learn at the very beginning counterfeit religion comes into the world in the form of a serpent preaching a false gospel to our parents, Adam and Eve. And the question was simply this, did God really say? Did God really say? And it's this deceit and doubt that's sown into their hearts that leads them to disobey God's Word. They fail the test at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and plunge the human race into sin and darkness and death. And that's not the end of the story. As the story unfolds, more and more of these serpent-like prophets and teachers rise up among God's people, claiming to preach God's Word and to be God's priest and to be God's servants. Deuteronomy 13 explains to us the meaning of these things when it says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. What is this land beast? What is this fake lamb with its two horns and voice like a dragon? It is the serpent disguised as a preacher. It is the counterfeit religion of the world. It is fake Christianity. It is a false gospel messenger. Why does it rise up in every tribe and language and people and nation? Why is it there? The law of God tells us it is there to test you to know whether you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. We are not playing religious games. We are engaged in a war, in a conflict 
with the red dragon and his beasts. And we are in the midst of this war, in the midst of this conflict. And the trouble is some of us don't know how to fight. Some of us haven't learned to take up the sword of the Spirit. Some of us haven't learned to take seriously the difference between truth and lies. Or truth and half-truths and partial truths. This calls for wisdom. And that is the pastoral counsel given to us in verse 18. This is a call for perception. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is 666. The mark of the beast. This is the stuff of horror movies, apocalyptic films, crazy talk on the radio. Everyone's trying to figure out what is the mark of the beast. I've lived long enough and paid attention to this long enough to know that there was a time when the mark of the beast was called a barcode. And there was a time when people said, no, it's the credit card. And, and then people said, no, it's the smartphone. It's the internet. It's your IP address. That's not what I'm saying. That's what other people like to say. But the revelation tells us what the mark of the beast is. It is the number of a man. It is the number of a man. Why? Man was made on the sixth day in the image and likeness of God. It is the number of a man. This number is man-centered. And in context of a discussion about counterfeit Christianity, it is works-based religion. And there's plenty of that to go around, all around us. The counterfeit Christianity of the fake lamb is always working and never resting. It's always the sixth day. It's never the seventh day. It's always trapped in the weekly grind. It never enters into the Sabbath rest. It keeps you busy. It keeps you active. It gives you lots to do. But it won't let you keep the Sabbath holy. The mark of the beast is the haggard image of a man shaped by worldly politics and worldly religion. He's constantly trying to please other men, constantly trying to please himself, constantly trying to please man, not trying to please God. It's always Friday. It's never Saturday. It's always a work day, but never a day of rest. That is the number of man. That's how you know if you or your friends, your family, your culture have been deceived by a lamb with two horns and the voice of a dragon. Because they're always working and they're never resting. And they'll never rest because they live with this mark, 666, the mark of man, but not the mark of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Eugene Peterson says, 
It is a recurring characteristic of this land beast religion that it is commercialized. It requires huge budgets to maintain itself. It manipulates us economically, getting us to buy and sell at its bidding, marketing advice, solace, blessing, solution, salvation, good feelings. The devil's strategy here is not the black mass, but the mass market. Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? That's how we feel sometimes. We look around. Red dragon, sea monster, land creature. Who can withstand this unholy trinity waging war against those of us who are following a meek and mild lamb into the new heavens and new earth? How can we resist? How can we refuse? Well, as I said, we'll have much more on this next week. But for now, I want to end on a very happy note. What our brother Job was not able to do with Leviathan and Behemoth, the beasts of the land and the sea, our brother Jesus Christ, the true and better Job, did. What did he do with them? He subdued them. He took dominion over them. And he crushed them. Just as he subdued the red dragon and took dominion over that dragon and crushed its head. And what are you called to do? You are called to persevere in Jesus Christ. And you are called to perceive the finished person and work of Jesus Christ. And you are called to praise the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, including yours. This is how we wage war. We gather for worship in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us pray together. Almighty and everlasting God, in your tender love for the human race, you sent Jesus Christ our Savior, to take upon Him our nature, to suffer death upon the cross, to give us the example of His great humility. Mercifully grant that we may walk in the way of His suffering and also share in His resurrection. We give thanks to You, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for You have taken Your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but Your wrath has come. And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your saints and servants, the prophets and those who fear your name, both small and great. And the time has come for destroying the destroyers of the earth. All these things we ask and pray through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.